Welcome to Daily Drive Time Devotions. We're in day two of looking through 1 John chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 4 to 6 today. And as we look at these verses, we're continuing our talk about how you tell whose family you're in. We were talking about what it means to really be God's child yesterday. And today we're going to talk about one final evidence, one final signature of being God's child. Remember yesterday we talked about being God's child means that the Father's love is great. He wouldn't be God's child except for his love. It means, number two, that the world doesn't know us, that there's a separation once you become God's child from the world's way of thinking and God's way of thinking. It means, number three, that there are things in your life that have not yet been made known. You have a lot to look forward to. And it means, number four, that as you grow up, you grow up to be like him. You're, you're God's child. Well, there is one final evidence, one final mark of being God's child in these verses. And it is one that it throws us. This last one throws us. The final evidence is, well, let me read verses four to six. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him, there is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or knows him. So there it is, that final evidence. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. He says it again just to make sure we get it. No one who continues to sin has seen him or knows him. Now what is this about? Does this mean if I'm a true believer in Jesus Christ, I really have made a decision and come to faith in Christ that I will never sin again? Let's deal with what 1 John has to say about sin in the life of a Christian. This is very important to understand. First, does it mean what I just said? Does it mean that once I become a Christian, I'll never sin again? Well, no. John himself said in chapter 1 that if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. We're liars. In all the New Testament letters, all of them, by the way, written to Christians, there is talk about sins that those that are in the church are struggling with in their lives. 1 Corinthians is a great example. Paul talks about many sins that they were struggling with in their marriages and in taking each other to court and their worship practices, but he continues to call them saints and talk about them being Christians even though they struggled with some sins. In fact, if you take a close look at the Bible, every great person of faith in the Bible sinned. Abraham lied about his wife and said she was his sister so that he could get out of some potential problems and he created more problems. Moses lost his temper David sinned with Bathsheba. Peter denied the Lord three times. So this doesn't mean that once I become a Christian, I'll never have one activity of sin again in my life. Now let me say one more thing it doesn't mean before we talk about what it does mean. D does this then just mean sin in some spiritual sense? So some people in trying to figure out these verses say, well, maybe it means, maybe it means when Christians sin, they're not really sinning, because Jesus Christ has already paid for that sin. So it's really not talking about anything in our lives. It's just saying, well, Jesus already paid it, so, so it's really not sin. Well, Jesus already paid it, that's for sure, but sin is still sin, no doubt about that. Other people say, trying to figure this out, well, Christians never sin in their new nature because they have a new nature now in Christ. They just sin in their old nature. So if you say something hateful to your spouse, you would say, oh, it wasn't me talking, it was my old nature talking. Right. That's, that's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, you, you over-spiritualize these verses, and they mean nothing. They wouldn't, wouldn't even need to be written. So why are they written? 
What do they mean? No one who continues to sin has either seen him or knows him. Well, here's some things that they do mean, these verses. Number one, it means that becoming a believer doesn't mean I can stop taking sin seriously. And that was the false teaching that they were facing in the church that John was writing to. This idea that uh, because this world is a material place and God's not interested in material things, you don't really have to take sin seriously now that you become a believer. We also struggle with that in our world today. I talk to people who, there's a sense that, well, I've become a believer now, and I know that Jesus Christ has died for all of my sins. And so because of that, maybe I don't have to take my sin so seriously because it's all forgiven. Well, that's obviously ridiculous. That sin is very serious. How serious is it? It's serious enough that Jesus Christ died on the cross for that sin. What do these verses mean? It means, and here's, here's the core of it, it means that a lifestyle of sin and the life of Christ do not fit in the same heart. Now, what am I talking about when I say a lifestyle of sin? Well, he says, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin keeps on sinning, continues to sin. Those are indications of a particular verb form in the Greek that the New Testament was written in. Earlier, when John talked about if we say we have no sin, he used a form, an aorist form, that meant an action of sin, something that happened once. Here he uses a different form, a present active indicative form, which means something that is a continual habit in your life. It is a constant choice in your life. What's he talking about here when he talks about this lifestyle of sin? We're talking about an open, deliberate, unchanging choice to sin. You know it's wrong, and yet you continue to do it openly, and you don't care who knows. In fact, you're glad if other people know. This this is not about the person who is being confused by Satan or by false teachers as to whether something is a sin or not. This is about the person who knows they're sinning, and they are choosing to live in that sin instead of repenting and asking God to change them. This isn't about struggles with habitual sin patterns in the life of a believer. This is about someone who says they're a believer and has no struggle with open and habitual sin in their lives. They just say, well, it's okay for me to do this, even though I'm a believer in Christ. Now, as we walk through this, we could go into literally a million individual stories here. Is this person who is acting in this way a Christian or not? We could go through many, many different stories But that is not the point of these verses. The point of these verses is not them. It's you. It's me as I read these verses. It's what about my life? And when you think about your life, when it comes to this issue of sin in your life as a child of God, there are three truths you got to keep a hold of. Truth number one, we have all sinned. He says here that to sin is to break the law, to to be lawless. That the idea of being lawless here is that you have a rebellious heart. You see, we sin because we want to break the law. We sin not just because we accidentally broke the law, doing something else that we want to do. We sin because we intentionally want to break the law. There's something in us that is rebellious. I love that old story that I was reminded of by Warren Wiersbe as I was reading about this this week, about the little girl who's trying to stand up in her seat as her daddy's trying to back out of the driveway. And uh, the dad says, you got to sit down, honey, and put your seatbelt on. And she says, no, I'm not going to. So he stops the car and says, honey, you've got to sit down and put your seatbelt on. And she says, I am not going to do it. 
So the dad says, if you don't do it, I'm going to stop the car, get out, and we're going to have a long talk about this, and there's going to be some punishment involved. So the little girl sits down. She puts her seatbelt on. Dad pulls out, starts to drive down the street. The little girl looks up at her father and says, Daddy, I'm still standing in my heart. That's the, that's the attitude of rebelliousness. And we all smile a little bit at that story, but also cringe a little bit because we've all seen it in our own hearts. We have this attitude of rebelliousness. And apart from Christ, there is no answer. Apart from Jesus Christ, the answer to sin is a matter of conscience, conduct, and constraint. Conscience. What don't I feel bad about doing? I'll go ahead and do it. Conduct. What can I get away with doing? I'll go ahead and do it. And constraint. Where am I being kept from doing what I want to do? Well, I'll be kept from doing it for a while until that constraint is removed. That's the answer to sin without Christ. But in Christ, the answer is not conscience and conduct and constraint. It's a new creation. Instead of getting caught up in these externals, Jesus goes straight to the heart of the issue, and he changes you from the inside out. That's what he does. We've all sinned, and number two, he appeared to take away our sins. That's the second thing to get a hold of and to keep a hold of. You never get over that fact as a believer in Jesus Christ. It's not like you recognize his forgiveness and then you go on and live the rest of your life for yourself. No, you live with the cross in sight every day of your life. So then comes the third truth. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. The idea of living in him there is the idea of abiding in him. We talked about this last week. The branch attached to the vine, abiding in the vine. And here's the truth. You either abide in sin or you abide in him. You cannot be abiding in both. You either draw, try to draw your life from some sin in your life or a multitude of sin in your life, or you decide to draw your life from him. Now, if you try to draw your life from sin, that ends in death because that's all that sin has to give. Draw your life from him, that ends in eternal life because that's what he has to give. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning because you can't, you can't abide in both. So, in light of these truths about sin, what am I going to do? What are you going to do? Well, the place to start is with him, in conversation with God, conversation with Jesus Christ. Let's talk to him right now. God, help me to remember these truths in my life. We've all sinned. We've all sinned. There's a rebelliousness in me that apart from you, I would be lost. But Jesus, you appeared to take away my sins. And I am grateful. And I pray that that gratefulness would not be something in the past that I remember having done a long time ago. Help me to be daily grateful for the forgiveness that only you can give. And for what that forgiveness means in my everyday life. And for what that forgiveness means for my eternity. And Jesus, help me to abide in you. To draw life from you from nothing else, nowhere else, no, no pride in my life, no possession in my life, no seeming power in my life. I can't get, I can't get life there. Life is found in you. And so I decide once again today, I remind myself in my heart that that's where my life is. Jesus, help me to take sin seriously in my life. Not, not by building little rules that keep me from some noticeable sins, but by building a depth of trust in you that guides me away from all sin into a life of growth, a life of change. I pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Join us tomorrow. We're going to be looking at verses 7 to 10, and we're going to be talking about the difference that Jesus makes in your life.